beautiful. How are you this week? You are listening to the Africana Woman podcast and I'm your host, Chulu. Every week, I ask an Africana woman to invite us into her home to give us a snapshot into what happens behind her closed doors. I hope you will join me on this journey of discovery, revelation, and self-awareness. I'm not going to lie. It may become uncomfortable sometimes. However, I encourage you to push past your unease and challenge yourself to think differently. The simple act of expanding yourself to receive the unknown may be transformational for you. Tomorrow, guys, is Valentine's Day. Let me take the opportunity to be the first to say happy Valentine's, my darling. I hope you have a day that is filled with genuine acts of love. Now, relationships have been on my mind these last couple of months because I'm single and possibly ready to mingle. (laughs) But isn't it interesting how people around you profile the type of man that you should be with? Has that ever happened to you? Well, in my case, I have been told that I should marry a Muzungu because I'm too westernized in inverted commas for traditional African men. I had a lot to say about that, which you can find in the Africana Woman blog in a post called, Would You Date a White Guy? Nonetheless, babe, I hope you can be discerning about what type of man you allow in your life. And if you realize later that you are in a dangerous environment, I pray you have the courage to walk away without worrying about what other people will say. And our guest today has a powerful story of her strength to walk away from narcissism and gaslighting. The Africana woman in the spotlight is my P2P sister, Rochelle Malone. Rochelle is a certified coach and minister. She is the former co-pastor and co-founder of a faith-based organization in her native hometown of Memphis, Tennessee, where she faithfully served in full-time ministry for over 17 years. She has combined her many years of ministry with the vehicle of coaching and founded Grace Solutions LLC, a platform platform from which she serves as an executive coach, featured keynote speaker, business strategist, and business consultant with various individuals, schools, universities, churches, and organizations. Rochelle's desire is to see women leaders embrace their grace or strength to live a fulfilling and authentic life. Now, I must say that whenever you see Rochelle, she is so graceful, guys, without missing a beat. She's always dressed like a lady and is soft-spoken. So when she tells her story of how she was institutionalized in a psychiatric hospital in an attempt to make her get lost in the system, you cannot help but be shocked. But what is even sadder is the person who was behind this plot was none other than her husband at the time. You have to hear it to believe it. This was our conversation. looking beautiful as always you are sweetheart and so are you thank <laughs> you to be here 
I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> ready? <laughs> well, thank you so okay. much, Sulu. Thank you for this opportunity. Mm -hmm. Thank you for what you do for the community of women, just empowering us with knowledge. I can't say enough mm -hmm. about this, that what you do, and I am very appreciative. So a little bit about me, I'm a Southerner. Yes. For those of you who don't know, I'm from the United States and I'm from this Southern region, um, Memphis, Tennessee area. And my journey is a little different. And I guess going back a, a little bit even to my childhood, I'm the youngest of five children. I grew up in a middle-class home with a mom and a dad in the, in the family, seeing the traditional role of mom and dad. And from a young age, I was a high achiever. You know, I ex excelled in honors classes in Clue in um, elementary school and in high school, junior high school, um, honors classes. Um, I even received an uh, academic scholarship um, to college. So I was able to um, go to college free, at, you know, because of my grades. So academics and um uh, achievement was always a part of who I was. Well, while I was there it, uh, in high school and throughout school, I'd never dated. You know, my parents' um, notion was my schoolwork was my boyfriend. <laughs> so that mm -hmm. was my mindset. So I never dated in high school. But in college, I ended up meeting a very um, fascinating young man. And we were both in um, the gospel choir together in, in which we um, both loved God. We were Christians and we wanted to find an outlet in which we could uh, pursue our growth in Christ. So uh, gospel choir was one of the outlets and we started going to Bible study and then to come to find out he was a minister. And so I was intrigued with him because he was um, he was a young man on fire for God and loved God, very charismatic. He was you know popular on campus and I was the shy, quiet wallflower, you know, not really speaking much to people. But anyway, we ended up developing a relationship. He was my first love, my college uh, sweetheart. <clears throat> and uh, one of the things that he desired, well, we both desired, is that we wanted to marry young because we wanted to start a ministry and to do it right and raise a family. And in our 40s, our goal was to um, <clears throat> pretty much be able to retire in a sense from what we've worked for and just enjoy life. Well, it didn't work that way. And things happen, life happens, and um, you're throwing a curveball. And so fast forward to 2007, that was the life-changing um, year for me. You know, up until that point, and this is a backdrop, up until that point, we started a ministry with six people, six of our closest friends in college, and it grew to, um, at that time, during, in, the, in the early 2000s, you would say a mega church in our area. You know, now we have churches of 15 and 20,000 members. We had about a thousand members. That was pretty good in our area. And so we grew that, you know, with grassroots, with blood, sweat, and tears and prayer. And um, mm -hmm. we, we, ha we had a good life. I, I lived a good life. I was a, a stay-at-home mom, worked in ministry full-time, had four beautiful girls. Um, life was well, but that was something, there's a saying that a, a minister said, um, you have that feeling when you take a shower, if you get in the shower with your socks on, you know, just in a rush, you feel like there's something on, something right, but not quite right. And that's how I felt. I felt like I was in the shower with my socks on, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Well, 2007 was a transitional year for us. We had um, our church was growing, ministry was growing, kids were going well. Um, and there were some different influences uh, around, I guess, us that opened a different arena. And just to say, long story short, um, my husband and I were having issues in our relationship, which is common when you have those levels of growth and there were issues. But the issues were 
red flags that were coming to a head. Long story short, mm -hmm. let me just let the cat out the bag. Here I was a college educated woman. Here I was a co-pastor of a church. Here I was a leader to other women. I was a leader to my children. And I found myself in a mental hospital. Um, mm -hmm. And how in the world could I go from, you know, and there's nothing wrong if there's if there was a, a need for it, but I was falsely put into a, a mental hospital. And, you know, mm -hmm. how does that happen? It happens because I didn't know who I was. And just going, what, what I really wanted to talk about today was, you know, as black women, as women in, in leadership, sometimes we live in glass houses and we're not able to have safe places that we can talk to or people that are informed to share knowledge with us. And I sought counsel, um, but all of my um, counsel was, baby, just pray about it. You know how black men are, just pray about it. And so I prayed. I was even over prayer. I was the intercessory leader <laughs> in my church. So I prayed and prayed and had others praying with me. But it just seemed like, Lord, what is going on? Why is, um, you know, why don't I see a resolve? And I come to understand yeah. that with prayer, you know, the Bible says to pray without ceasing. But also it says with all of, you know, with uh, for lack of knowledge, people perish. Well, I was perishing because I didn't realize I was dealing, I didn't have a mental illness. I was dealing with someone who had a mental illness. I was dealing with a narcissistic husband. And okay. people like to so, talk Rochelle, about that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Let me just ask a question. So, mm -hmm. you know, you've, you've told us how you were in college and you had a desire to start a ministry and you went on to do that and become successful. So, um, what was the time frame? How many years had passed before this came to head? It was um, 17 years, 17 years. Mm. But the red flags were there. Okay. Um, and, I, and, and, and let me go back and preface it. I, um, it takes mm. two. You know, you get you can't put all of the ownership. I mean, all of the responsibility on one. I had a part to play, too. And my part was I was codependent. And one of the things that I've learned about narcissism is that narcissistic, a narcissistic person can be so intoxicating. That was my, he was my mm -hmm. first love. And I also go back and preface it to the fact we were both young. We both didn't know. So this is not a blame or a smashing of anybody's character. It's, it's my truth and it's an awareness. Had I known differently, mm -hmm. I believe things could have been differently for me um, and my mm -hmm. children and those that were affected. So many people's lives were affected because of lack of knowledge. And then so the Bible mm -hmm. says, if you don't have knowledge in certain areas, you will perish. So it was a 17 yeah. year um, instance, but it was things along the way. Like I said, mm -hmm. I felt like I had I was in a shower with socks on. When things were well, things went, were great. You know, I loved my mm -hmm. husband. And, and I believe to the best of his ability, he loved me. But I think at some point uh, it got to, um, our, our, the goals changed and things, you know, you wanted yeah. something, he wanted something different. And it was, you know, the fact of, in my research, what I've learned, this was a natural um, occurrence in the 1800s among men in leadership if they wanted to get rid of their spouse, they put them in a mental hospital because there were no mm. questions asked. And it was like, oh, you did her. Oh, you loved her so much. You put her in a place where she can be helped. And that person could go on with life. And even today, um, when you're committed to a mental hospital after, well, <laughs> let me just say, while I was in the mental hospital, 
And the, pre- the premise for me going to the mental hospital was that I was strong armed. Um, my ex-husband at the time told me that if I didn't do everything at that time, he was putting on me that I was um, um, bi- had bipolarism and that I was depressed. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. I didn't go get help, that it was not going to be, it was going to be a detriment to the ministry. It's going to be a detriment to my family. So in order for me to, for him, to, for us to continue to be married, I had to go get help. <clears throat> and so the premise was, well, I'm saving my marriage. What wouldn't you do to save your marriage? What wouldn't you do to save your children and to uh, protect them? I didn't come from a family of divorce. My parents, um, before my father passed, um, were married almost 60 years. You know, my grandparents mm. were married. My, uh, you know, I did not come from a, a household of divorce, so I did not understand or even have the ramifications to understand what divorce meant. So that was never an option. I was just going to grow and work and make my marriage work. But while I was there, um, I think the third week that I was there, I ended up, I was supposedly supposed to go for three days. And that was my understanding to the mental hospital. And when I say mental hospital, I just thought I was going to go get help to, for depression. But that was not the case. And like I say, I have, you know, I'll be able to share that in another forum. I don't want to weigh down, get too caught up in, into that. But it was, I was tricked <laughs> into going. And what mm-hmm. was three days turned into 28 days. And really, mm-hmm. I had no clue when I was going to get out. And it was just the grace of God that therapists there stepped in and they recognized that something wasn't right. And um, I started realizing they started kind of saying, maybe there's a thin line between love and hate. Just the behavior that is being displayed is showing us that something's not right in this situation. So they deal with situations every day so they can recognize and see when something is not right and something's not adding up. Mm-hmm. So that was just a whole journey. But in 28 days, I lost everything. I lost my marriage. I lost my kids. I lost my ministry. I lost my money, um, mm-hmm. everything. And uh, as I was about to say that when you have a person committed, a, 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 a person can get everything. So, and yeah. um, so I lost custody of my children. Um, I lost everything. And um, my husband at the time presented to me, he wanted to do a no contest divorce. I was clueless about legal things. I was just this typical suburban mom, you know, living that life and allowing him to um, run everything. And that's one of the things that I learned. It was so intoxicating. Like I say, the uh, uh, charismatic or narcissistic person is so charismatic. They're just the life of the party. They know what to say. They know how to treat you. And that's how it was. He treated me. He took very well. Uh, I was a very, I was a well-kept woman. Uh, I didn't have any uh, material things that I didn't have a want for. <clears throat> but the emotional needs were deficit. And it was like I was I had all the the trappings, beautiful home, beautiful car, nice vacations. But I wasn't (coughs) ministered to because I wasn't allowed to be myself. And with a narcissist, everything is about him. And going back to that, that 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 uh, detrimental uh, combination, a a codependent and a narcissist, they feed off of one another. You know, I Mm -hmm. was a codependent because I went from my father's house to my husband's house house. I'd never lived a life independently before. And he was taking care of everything. He was doing everything mm-hmm. and he made sure I, he handled everything. So, and I was a pleaser, you know, um, but some of the things that I didn't, re- I realized in real love, you shouldn't have to walk on eggshells. You shouldn't have mm-hmm. to think about, um, you know, what you're going to say or how you're going to say, or you shouldn't uh, feel that it's okay to have your feelings minimized. At the end Mm -hmm. of my marriage, I realized in order for me to 
function, I deaden my emotions. And I was sharing with you when we talked briefly, Oprah, <laughs> Oprah's magazine at that time had just come out. And in many of her books, she would have a survey. And the survey would be kind of like a self-awareness, like where are you, how happy are you, and all these different things. I could never mm -hmm. take those surveys because it meant that I had to self-reflect. It meant that I had to dig deep and really ask myself, am I really happy? And the answer mm -hmm. was no. I had to put on the mask to be what I needed to be to all people. I had to be what I needed to be to my husband. I had to be what I needed to be. Of course, I love my kids. That wasn't a mask. But to ministry, many a times you had to straighten up your face because of mm -hmm. maybe a very harsh word or the way that he um, had dealt with me. It was like, you're just so sensitive. And, and the other people, older women, like, baby, you're just so sensitive. Stop being so sensitive. It's like my mm -hmm. feelings didn't matter. And um, I realized in order to function, I deadened my emotions. I deadened how mm -hmm. I felt just to go through the motions. That was one instance of that kind of like made a made me kind of have a red, a red flag about what's really going on with me, but I didn't have time. I was too busy. <laughs> I was a yeah. you know, wife of, you know, a wife of a thriving ministry, you know, four beautiful girls. They were active in sports. So I didn't have time to think. And that's one of the things too, I realized that when a person that has control over your life, you yield that, that control of your life, you're busy all the time. You don't have mm -hmm. time to sit and think. Had I had time to really sit and think and put things together, I would have been able to say, this is why, oh, this is why. And I started trying to get self-help books, but, you know, the pleaser part of me would read things and I would try to bring it to my ex-husband and he, oh, that's not true. Oh, that's not true. So I was looking to him to validate what I was feeling. Oh, yeah. And that was a no-no. Yeah. He would always say, no, mm -hmm. this is not, or the phrase was, black men don't act like that. When I would read about marriage books and try to say, well, you know, this is what I need from you. Oh, Black men don't act like that. You know, that's just what in the books. So I was left confused in days because I didn't have anybody that I can talk to. And I don't know what it's like in, in, in your culture, but in our culture, especially in the Christian culture, um, mm. therapy and help is somewhat shunned upon. You know, no oh, one yeah. ever. Yeah, well, you know, it, it, pray about it. You pray about mm. it, it's your answer. And so I prayed about it. I was doing the best I could. And the more I was trying to do better, the more codependent I became. I was like, well, I'm going to win them over with love. Um, I'm just going to be nicer to them. I'm going to be, you know, um, just, just just try to overcome evil with love. Because towards the end, it was aware that there were some other factors going on. Mm -hmm. And when I tried to bring awareness to it, the more I got beat down. And mm -hmm. even the, the fact of going into, you know, another term that I talk about is gaslighting. That was, I was heavily gaslighted um, to the point that um, he was trying to make me say that I was crazy by asking me certain okay. questions. And so, and so mm -hmm. yeah, Rochelle, just because you're using terms that um, people are maybe not too familiar with, um, mm -hmm. you know, gaslighting, like what is your definition? Because now you know very clearly what these things are. <laughs> just let us know what those definitions are, you know? Okay. Gaslighting mm -hmm. is a manipulative, it's, it's a man psychological manipulation that a partner uses on, on another partner, basically to cause that person to lose their footing or their sharing or their confidence. There's a movie that was made about it years ago, and it was based upon um, 
the idea that the, it was a post light in front of the house. It was a, a gas light in the front of the house. And at every night at eight o'clock, the gentleman would go and turn it off. And the lady would see it. And she's like, did you see that? He's like, see what? The light just went off. It's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And that's the mm. example of what gaslighters do. You know, you have, you know how something was, you know how you, you all may have stories, you know, how did you meet or how did you do, you know, just simple things. And you know what the, what the story is, but he'll change it. And he's like, you don't remember that? That's not how that went. And just trying to undermine your thinking. Girl, after the year we just had, I know as an entrepreneur and a leader, things got real lonely, really fast. Uncertainty has become the order of the day and yet we must continue to not only survive but thrive. So as a leader, who do you turn to to fill your cup, to give you inspiration, to teach you and to mentor you? We have created a community just for this very reason, to support each other, to hold each other accountable and to be each other's cheerleaders. This group is called the Africana Woman Visionaries because we're looking past the storm and are focused on the vision we have for our companies and the African continent. Join the Africana Woman Visionaries free Facebook group to learn more. Now back to the conversation. And with me, mm. I say, how in the world could I be? I was a leader. I was proficient in other areas. How did I end up in a mental hospital? And I'm still baffled. How did that happen? Because it was a constantly, you know, you're this, you know, you're that, you know, you're this, well, you know, you're depressed, you know, you're this. How can someone diagnose you that's not uh, clinically trained? But mm -hmm. I love my husband and I knew what I had to do or I thought I had to do to save my marriage and save mm -hmm. my family. And that was I think that was the most devastating thing to do what I did to save my marriage and save my family only to lose my family. That, like I said, the mm -hmm. third week that I was there, he came to me and told me that he wanted a divorce. And I'm thinking, well, you told me to come here to take care of me when I know that there was nothing wrong with me. But I did it because I wanted my family. I wanted things to stay as, as normal but this was a plan and that was a, it was a, it was done in a sense to have a skeleton in your closet because it was like yeah. you don't want people to know where you've been and it's mm. like, well yeah it's kind of like always a secret if you don't want people to know where you've been you need to cooperate and that was the gist but God is so good and I'm going to share you know at a later yeah. date just how God delivered me but he didn't allow it to to go as planned but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just as women, I just wanted to be um, just bring awareness that this happens a lot. And oftentimes it's with educated women. That's what I found out. You know, we're high achievers. We um, mm -hmm. seek to do well. And then it's like we seek we take that same passion and bring it into the relationship. But we can't mm -hmm. fix another person. We can't change another no. person. Um, we have to see the flags as they are. And I saw the flags all along. My family saw the flags. But, you know, you're blinded by love. And I just thought, well, you know, he'll change over time. And some things did get better, but then some mm -hmm. things didn't get better to the point where it was like a mastermind of how do I get rid of my wife and keep everything? Because that's mm -hmm. literally what happened. Had he succeeded with that plan, he would have gotten rid of me, just removed me, went on with ministry, went on with my children, 
and went on with life and everybody's thinking, oh, he's such a wonderful man. His wife was sick. Mm -hmm. She was causing him so much problems. No, I have, I mm -hmm. thank God. I know that I have yeah. my right mind, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, Rochelle, like during all of this, where was your family? I know some people must be thinking like, she has a family, where were they? That's Tell a very us what interesting point, very interesting point. One of the things that a, a, a narcissist does and a controller does is that he isolates you from your family. And that's one of the things that happened with me. We were so involved with um, ministry. We lived it. We breathed it. It, it. That was our life. So uh, having a relationship with my family because they did not belong to the ministry, that was kind of like a no-no. I really had to fight to um, have my family engage. But one thing I can say, my family knew my love for them. They knew that something wasn't right. They didn't quite know what was right. You know, my, my mother always said, my sister would say, I knew something wasn't right, but I didn't know what, 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 was, wrong, what, what was wrong. But when I tell you how I thank God for my family, my family is, is what saved me. When I was there in the mental hospital, nobody knew where I was because it was all a secret. Um, you're going to go get help. And once you get help, you know, you'll come back. That's what I thought. I had a one-way ticket. Everybody that went with him had a round-trip ticket. If you're coming back, you should have some kind of date of when you're going to come back. I did not have and for three to come days. Back. Yeah, yeah, for three days. I was supposed to go for three days, but I had a one-way ticket. Didn't mm. think anything about it, wasn't thinking about it. So um, when I found, when one of the, like say, there's a lot that went on, but one of the therapists basically almost lost her job fighting for me because she said something's not right. And she um, got me and we were having a session and, she, you know, we had a group session. And after everybody left, she's like, you're not going anywhere until you call your family and tell them where you are, because they recognize that something was not right. And I was like, uh, and I argued, no, I don't need to know because I'm still living, thinking, well, my husband doesn't want me them to know. And this is our privacy. She said, no, you don't understand. You're in a situation that you have no clue of the severity of it. And so she made me call my mother that day. And um, my mother was just speechless. She didn't know what to say. And I was like, well, don't tell anybody else. Don't tell anybody else. But that was it. my mother. I know my mother. That was not going to fly. She, as soon as she got off the telephone with me, she called my, my middle sister. And it was a weekend of Easter Sunday. And when she told my sister, and I, now my sister told me, she just, just, her tears ran down her eyes because I'm the baby. You know, regardless of what happens, every, they all see me as the baby of the family and they know that, you know, a good hearted person. How in the world could my sister end up in a mental hospital if she needed to be fine? But I hadn't had it exhibited any behavior that that warranted me to be in a mental hospital. So once my sister found out, she began to make plans. That was on a Sunday night. She was I was in uh, Atlanta. She was in California. She was in Atlanta on Monday evening and um, you know my family and when I tell you she dropped her life she dropped her life mm -hmm. for me her husband was in support because they loved me they knew me they knew my character and they knew something was not right so they were committed and stayed with me from day one to make sure that I got the help that I needed to make sure that I got the resources that I needed to do what I needed to do. And, um, and like I say, it was just God's grace. No therapist is supposed to reach out to me when I'm there. But this therapist knew, she said, and I asked her, I said, why are you being so nice to me? Why are you being so kind to me? 
And I'll never forget, she said, because God wants you to know how much he loves you. And mm-hmm. I just couldn't, you know, because I, I felt so broken. Like, how could someone mm-hmm. take, you know, we work together. This is my husband in the South. Your husband and your, your pastor, they're esteemed so highly. Here I am, my pastor and my husband has basically thrown me away and just like, I'm through with you, on to the next. Like it was no big deal. And mm-hmm. when it was time for me to be discharged, and that's when um, the uh, hospital got concerned, they couldn't get in touch with him. He kept giving them a runaround. And you cannot be dismissed and, and, unless you're like basically have the care of somebody else because you're in the mental hospital. Mm-hmm. They don't, you know, they want to yeah. they don't just let you go. Okay, you go, I'm free, go. No, you have to have someone that, that you're discharged to. Well, he wouldn't come. Um, he had other responsibilities. He had to go to uh, another, um, a, 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 one of his son's churches, which I now later find out Atlanta and Alabama are just a hop and skip away from each other. It was just, I was supposed to get lost in the system. I was just supposed to get out. He didn't care. And so by that time, that's when my family was alerted. My sister came and got me and we began to work. That's where my therapist worked with my sister. And when I tell you, it was like, only God could put the love in her heart and to make things how God is so good. The therapist was a spirit filled believer. She mm-hmm. moved here from England and her area with specialty was working with pastors and their wives for counseling. So wow. it was just to see how God orchestrated that thing. So she understood. And so she was able to minister to me every morning when I got up, when I was there, I would call her and pray. And she would pray mm-hmm. with me because she knew that this was a set setup. I was supposed to get lost in the system and um, but God made a way and I was, you know, just basically left there, you know. Um, so that was the journey. That was what happened. And, um, you know, thank God God has brought me through. And I say all of this to say one of the things when God brought me out was that and I share it with you how the church share, shares with you. Um, pray. I'm a prayer. I believe in prayer but it's prayer and knowledge. And I recognized there was no one that I could talk to about what I was going through that could identify, baby, you're dealing with a narcissist or you're dealing with codependency. These are things that we need to know. Just like, you know, for many years in the church, we, we it was a kind of a going joke, you know, about, you know, church people being unhealthy because we would stay at church and, and eat late and eat all the chicken dinners and we would end mm-hmm. up having heart attacks and high pr- high blood pressure yeah. because we didn't have any knowledge. We were going, we loved the Lord, but we had no idea about how to eat healthily. Well, the same thing is true. We have to be aware of mental health as well. And so I'm not a licensed therapist. The direction that God uh, has led me to is an area of leadership among leaders. Mm-hmm. I wanted mm-hmm. to be what someone could be for me. As a first lady, as a pastor, as a, as a person that was above and in front of the people, I couldn't talk to a congregational member. I couldn't talk to um, just a lot of people because there's a certain standard that you're held to. Not that you're perfect, but I just didn't have anyone to talk to. In a glass house, you make a, a, a title of a book called Suffering in Silence. You're suffering right in front of the people and they don't know because you have yeah. to put the mask on. And <clears throat> I became an executive coach. I got certified through Valerie Burton's CAP um, Institute. And that was a lifesaver for me. I learned how to um, gain the tools to be resilient, to how to change my mindset, 
how to thrive. And that, and that was the thing. I wanted to know how do people deal with adversity? How some, it breaks mm-hmm. some people and some people take it and use it as a springboard and thrive. And my goal mm-hmm. was I have four girls and I wanted them to see what life could be like when you find your purpose, when you find who God has created you to be. And that was one of the things, too, that I could not allow my girls to see the way I was being treated. You know, mm-hmm. it got to a point where it was being disrespectful to me and my girls were old enough to begin to see that behavior mm-hmm. and to see the hurt on their eyes when he said certain things to me. And I'm not you know, not trying to villainize him. That's just a, a mental disorder that has to be dealt with. You know, um, it's, it's uh, something that needs to be addressed. And it doesn't matter what your title is, whether you're mm-hmm. a pastor, whether you are a CEO. Oftentimes when we take those uh, characteristics of leadership and we hold them to a different standard, you still have to be accountable. And there's been no sense of accountability of those actions. And so for me, I wanted to be a better leader. You know, I went into school. I'm also working on my doctorate in business and leadership because I saw the, the effects of bad leadership. I saw we had a vibrant, wonderful church full of leaders, full of high achievers, doctors, attorneys, entrepreneurs, uh, entertainers, professional athletes, and uh, because we were genuine in what we believed and what we taught. But some kind of way, we got off. And when in getting off, so many other lives were affected. So many people were hurt. Relationships were damaged. And um, that was not the purpose of getting into ministry. The purpose into ministry was to help and to protect the sheep, not scatter the sheep. Yeah. Can I ask, though, um, I know a lot of people that have been hurt by the church, you know, and betrayed. And um, your story is a very, very big betrayal, especially when it's coming from the head of, you know, you know, your pastor, you know, And, you know, most people, when they are hurt by the church, they turn away from um, Christianity and, you know, and, you know, they just don't want to be associated with it. But I sense in you that you are still so strongly rooted and grounded in your relationship with God. And I just wanted you to just talk a little bit about that. Like, what made you decide that? you would still be strong and hold on to him and just, you know, still love him. God, that is. (laughs) That's a very interesting question. You know, for me, the way, like I say, going back to what the therapist told me, I asked her, why did you do that? And she said she wanted me, he wanted me to know how much God loved me. So that let me know that this wasn't God that happened to me. It was somebody's Mm. choices and decisions. We are representatives of Christ, but that's why it's so important. That's one of the things that we taught in our ministry is to not to have a religion, but to have a relationship with God. And that's what drew me. It wasn't, you know, and I would even say, you know, at times, I thank God I knew God before I knew my ex-husband because I would not want to serve the God of him. Because the things that I saw, the way that I was treated, the way in which I was just disposed of, that's not the God that I know. And so if anything, I had to draw on my own strength, my own faith. You know, it was beyond just going to church just 
for the sake of going to church, but it became a real relationship. Daddy, God, you are my father. You are my provider. And that was my hope. I knew that if I had nothing else, and that's what I did, I was basically stripped of everything. I had enough Mm -hmm. to start over again because I had God who was able to create all things and to make all things new. And I knew that it was, I knew my contribution to that ministry. I just wasn't a a face that sat there, even though in some ways I was esteemed as just a figurehead. I knew that there was strategy, there were insights that God had given me. My prayers had birthed a lot of things there. So if I could do that and God could do that with him, I have the same God inside of me. And so I had to allow some things to be torn down and allow him to rebuild in me what he wants to do. And that's why, you know, with my coaching practice, even with ministry, as I step out into that more, God still gets the glory. He told me when this journey first began, he says, you may have taken the detour, but you're going to get to your final destination. And so that's what I trusted him. I continue to trust God, not man. And it was like an illustration that a gentleman gave me earlier or last week. He said, you know, people oftentimes want to throw God out the window or throw church out of the window when they have a bad experience. He said, you ever go to the grocery store and maybe you get a bad, some bad meat or you get some bad milk or something like that. He said, you don't ever say, you know what, I'm never going back to the grocery store ever again because they gave me something bad. You know, you just like, that was just a bad situation. That was a bad instance. And you're able to decipher that and say, I need to go to the grocery store. I need the grocery store in my life. Well, I had a bad situation. I, I picked a bad apple. But that doesn't mean that I throw God away. But I can tell you, it did. It it caused me to reevaluate my walk mm. with God. I was hurt. I couldn't understand why he allowed it to happen. And I remember I stayed in the church, though. I stayed in an atmosphere where the presence of God was. And I remember mm. going to church when I was so hurt and so just broken and not knowing what was um you know, what was really going on. And I remember looking at people raising their hands so freely and just worshiping God so freely. And I remember saying to myself, saying to God, I said, Lord, I want to be like that again. I said, but right now I'm just not there, but I know this is where I need to be. And then God and God began to deal with me in Hebrews 11 about Sarah. You know, she had to judge him faithful in what he had promised. And that's what I had yeah. to begin to do, judge God faithful. Have I seen everything that I believe to see? Have I seen everything totally restored? Not yet, but I know. And the fact is, I know my God and I know that he's always victorious. And as long as I continue to keep walking with him, that's what allows me to keep going because the story hasn't ended. It's not over yet until God's totally total victory is seen and manifested in the lives of myself, in the lives of my children, mm-hmm. and in the lives of those who were affected. So my faith mm-hmm. was not, I guess, weakened, but my faith was strengthened because of who I was. It became more than just something pretty that you do. When your life is on the line and your children's mm-hmm. life is on the line, you know, no one knows the journey, the story that I've been through, it was literally a situation where there, those powers that be were really trying to make me lose my mind. You know, okay, yeah, you went to a mental hospital, you got out, but we're going to make sure we're going to make this true that you have, you know, you lost your mind. And to have that stigma, and like I say, those who need to go, that's fine. Get the help that you need. But for someone in your right mind, 
being placed in a situation and to the point people in the hospital were coming to me, baby, why are you here? Now, what you say you're here for? The staff's coming to me. People that come, there's some people that go to the mental hospital every six months because they want to just go check in and just get checked on. And so, you know, I don't judge them, but that's what I met those that were there. They were just like, look, life just got too hard. I just didn't check myself in. I need a break. <laughs> so like, okay, do what you do, what you got to do. Uh, and I met those and they would come to me. They're like, we know the regular people that come in here, but you don't seem like you belong here. And so, and I was telling people, oh yeah, I'm, I'm here for a depression. And the night that I met with um, my therapist, she actually showed me my records and showed me why I was there. And I was just... What was What did it say? It said that I was bipolar, schizophrenic, Mm -hmm. homicidal, suicidal. Sorry, um, wait, 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 wait. You say homicidal? Yes. Okay. Yes, he um, mm-hmm. actually shared with people that I was trying to kill him. You know, um, I made um, Tuesdays and Thursdays were his day to stay at the church mm-hmm. uh, longer. And so I prepared dinner for my girls and I prepared dinner for him on those nights and served him in bed. And he began to share with some of our close friends that he stopped eating the food that I was preparing for him because he thought I was trying to poison him. And this was, and my friends that shared with, shared this with me were personal friends. The wife was in tears. She's like, Rochelle, we know you. We know that this is not even your character. How could he propose that you were trying to kill him when I'm doing a kind of two meals, one for my children and one specifically for him, but I'm trying to poison mm-hmm. him. So it was mm-hmm. just, um, you know, it was just a diabolical scheme to try to make it appear that I was um, crazy mm-hmm. and that he had to do what was best for him and best for his ministry by yeah. uh, keeping me away. So, but that's mm-hmm. the length that a narcissist will yeah. go to. You know, they have no empathy there. It's about what's best for them. And so, mm-hmm. you know, people ask me sometimes, you know, you know, how do you feel about him? I feel, you know, I feel sorry. You know, I have forgiven him. I've forgiven those that were involved with it because for me, my relationship with God is more important to love God than to hate somebody. I don't have to mm-hmm. try to mm-hmm. get back at something. And I remember Lord, the Lord, because, you know, there was a time like, what, what's going to happen? What's, what's going on? And God's like, I don't yeah. have to put somebody else. I don't have to bring somebody down to bring you up. Mm. And so don't worry about that. You don't have to bring somebody down to bring you up. And so don't worry about watching him. I'm God. (laughs) In my time, I do all things well. So the rebuilding, the restructuring that I had to go through is not just for me. I have four girls, young Mm. ladies. And I think Mm -hmm. about, I want to be able to help them navigate life. And then right now, you know, like I said, there's some things that I'm believing for, but I want to be that before I met to anybody else, any other coach, I want to be that to my daughters where they can Mm -hmm. see the strength of God, to see Mm -hmm. God's glory in my life, to see what a woman can do when she trusts God. And, 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 And not only that, puts her abilities 
and, and develops those abilities. Since then, I had had my undergraduate degree, but I went on and I got my master's degree. Like I say, I'm now in my third year of my doctorate program. And, um, you know, these are things that I always wanted to do, but I wasn't able mm-hmm. to do because I was living somebody yeah. else's dream. But yeah. I wanted to be an answer, you know, to leaders, to churches. You know, I, I think about the fact that I help build churches and the knowledge that I have to be able to go in and help ministries, you know, strategize and, 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 and come up with solutions mm-hmm. for longevity. You know, so I have mm-hmm. a passion of restoration. Yeah. The latter part of my yeah. years, the latter part of my ministry is restoration. I thank God for those mm-hmm. who've invested in me. But now it's time for me to give the gifting in a different way. It doesn't mean that I'm not in ministry, but it also means that sometimes we think I often say sometimes when we go to church, it's like we take off our intelligent hat and put on our stupid hat and people can just tell Mm -hmm. us anything. And we're just like, yeah, praise God. Hallelujah. No, God gave us with intellect as well. And uh, the greatest gift and glory is to be able to use the anointing with the intellect. And it caused revelation and insight. And that's what I've been endeavoring to do to allow God's anointing to shine on the intellect so that we can be informed, not just pray, but have knowledge. Because in the areas that we lack knowledge are the areas that we're going to perish and we're going to die. So could you tell us a little bit about what it was like? Because you said that you came from your parents' home and you went into your (laughs) marriage home. But now, you know, you had to live alone. What was that like? That was a, oh, that was an interesting journey. Uh, Like like I shared with you, well, I did not share. It took almost two years to get a divorce. And then that, um, it was still a custody battle. So it was, was, I, I was living it. But I was also fighting. It was so much legal stuff that I had to go through. Um, learning to live by myself. I, you know, I, at one point in time when I lived in Atlanta, my parents came to stay with me. But it was, I, it, I wasn't settled. I was, it was always a constant fight. You know, it was a constant, it was a constant that I was dealing with with him. So I really didn't have time to think about, ooh, I'm alone. <laughs> you know, I was surviving. <laughs> So when you're surviving, you're so busy strategizing, trying to figure out, okay, Mm -hmm. this has been done to me. So what do I need to do to to get this? And then, too, when all of this happened, you know, you're going to take my children away from me. That Mm -hmm. was that was the fight. You're not going to take I'm a stay at home mom. I'm with them every day. I was that mom that was a part of what what they wanted. You know, I was a part of their life, even though we had help and we had help because I couldn't be too, I couldn't be all things to all people. You know, my mm-hmm. husband wanted a lot, all of my t- attention. And of course I needed to be there for my children. And it's just a lot when you don't know who you are and when you don't have a voice in your marriage, when you're dating someone, it's important to recognize and see, do they value you? Do they value your input? Because you can be swept up in a fairy tale like situation. Oh girl, he does everything. He does this and he does that, he does that. But what do you do? How do you Mm -hmm. insert yourself in the equation? You know, and so that was the thing. I lived this wonderful life, but it was almost in a sense I was standing on the outside. And that's what I tell people that would come to me that were devastated. It's like, you know, I, I, I was just as devastated as you were because I didn't know that what I was involved with wasn't real. It was real to me. 
And I thought it was real, but when the covers came back, I was just as, as, as surprised as you were. And people say, well, how could you not know you live with them? Yeah, I did know, but there are certain things that people can keep from you. You know, the, the, the narcissism was present, but I did not believe that it would, could, could manifest in the way that it did to the extent that it did with me. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, as of now, I think that's a part of, you know, how does it feel now being, by, you know, living a life on my own? That's where I had to do the personal development. That's where I had to do the hard work of getting to know myself, finding out who I was. Um, and um, like I say, there's some things and projects that I'm working on a little later. But I talk about the six pillars that help define who I am and help me walk through this process. You know, it just wasn't some haphazardly thing. But there are things that I learned <clears throat> along the journey. And one is, you know, finding your voice, you know, finding out who you are. And um, not, if you have to lose yourself to be with somebody, the price is too great. And that's what I did. I lost myself to be mm. all the things that I was supposed to be, not knowing it. I didn't do it like I'm going to lose myself. You know, it was that was just the way that I was raised. And one of the things that I you know, was taught that the wife is the lamb in the family. And I remember saying that in, I was in the mental hospital. And an older lady mm-hmm. heard me say that. I said that in a group. I said, I was taught that the wife is a lamb. She's a sacrifice for the family. And she said, baby, she said, there's only one lamb. He's already been sacrificed. And I was Come like, on. Oh. <laughs> so I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what are you sacrificing yourself for? You know, <laughs> you know, Jesus is already sacrificed. No, you just in a messed up marriage. That's what that is. You know, you both submit to one another. You both honor one another. It's a partnership. It's not, you know, if I'm a king, if if, if he's a king, I'm a queen. It's not mm-hmm. a king and a princess or a king and a pauper. So yeah. I've learned that you should have an equal say-so in um, relationships and how things go. If not, you have to really check yourself and see, is this really what I want to, who I want to be with? Are, are they, you know, are they, do they undermine you? A part of gaslighting too, mm-hmm. to try to make you feel unsure of yourself. You're always so, um, so super sensitive. You know, why you gotta be so super sensitive? Why you gotta be, why you gotta be, why you gotta be? Because I am. Mm-hmm. God made me who I am and I should not have to feel bad about who I am or bad about how I show up. Now, if my behavior is bad, that's different. But if that's just who I am and it's not causing harm, you just don't like it. You don't change a person on one mm-hmm. way or the other. You learn to grow with a person. So mm-hmm. a lot of it, I believe we had good intention. We just were illy advised. We just didn't have the counsel that we needed to identify my codependency or identify his narcissism and not recognizing how it could go on to be a train wreck. We were taking yeah. care of everybody else, but weren't taking care of ourselves. And that's so, why, yeah. like I said, I go back to coaching. You know, I'm yeah. not a therapist, but I'm a coach. I help people become self-aware. You know, I help people not die because you can get so caught up in what you're doing that you think you are what you're doing. You know, I, sometimes mm-hmm. we can get so caught up with being professional Christians that we forgot to be forget to be real Christians. We put on, oh, yeah. less than highly favored. You know, and we put on the faith, you know, I'm not walking by faith and not by feelings, but mm-hmm. you're dying on the inside. Who do you talk mm-hmm. to? Who do you share with and say, you know what? I'm having a hard time right here. You know, um, yeah. this season, I need someone to help me navigate this and to yeah. be real. And that's what I've learned through this process 
because one of the things that I could say, and I said that as Christians, we have to do better, but I was treated better by some of the people I met in the mental hospital than I did in church. And that's a sad (laughs) situation. But I guess, you know, when you've hit rock bottom, there's a sense of empathy that you develop for others when others are hurt. And sometimes as Christians, we sit on a seat of judgment and we Mm -hmm. judge others because we've not walked in their shoes. But this experience has taught me how to love and be empathetic. You don't know what people are going through. You don't know what challenges people are facing. And the best thing you can do is show love, be kind, and try to be there to support as best as you can and not judge. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring change. He's the only one that can bring change. God commanded us to love one another, not change or condemn one another. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, even with my message of sharing what I shared, you know, I was so prayerful and so mindful because I don't want to discredit or um, slander or hurt anybody in the process. But I know that what I've gone through, um, I have to share my story. I have to share what happened because what happened happened. And it was unfortunate that I felt like I didn't have a lifeline, you know, Mm -hmm. so we have to do better as far as being there for one another and being real with one another. It's not, it does not mean that my faith failed me. As you asked, you know, well, how did you not lose your faith? My faith was intact. It was just some natural, practical things that I was not aware of. And because I did not have knowledge, I perished in those areas. So we have mm-hmm. to be holistic. If you don't know how to manage your finances, you cannot expect God to give you a miracle every day. You're going to have to learn how to get on the budget. You know, so there's some practical things that we have to do with the spiritual. And that's just how God wants us to be, you know, to be well-rounded, not, you know, flaky, but well-rounded and solid individuals that represent him. So um, first and foremost, I'm I'm a Christian, but secondly, I'm a coach. And, uh, you know, that's what I desire to do, to position myself to be a help, to help others, you know, navigate change. Because life will come with changes and surprises. But it's how you mm-hmm. respond to those changes that makes yeah. the difference. So we are actually coming up to an hour. This has passed so quickly. But right now, Rochelle, I would love for you to tell the people where can they find you? How can they work with you? If, um, you know, we're talking about women leaders who need some support, that need a place where they can just... Um, just go tell their truth and then figure out what next to do. So how can they find you? Where do they, um, where do they find you? Well, right now I'm in the process of restructuring my social media presence, but I am on Instagram under graced solutions. That's G R A C E D solutions. You can reach me there and you can also reach me at Rochelle R O C H E L L E at gracedsolutions.com. Um, I'm in the process of working on my website, but if you can, you can reach out there with me. I've pretty much done, um, you know, word of mouth, you know, with my clients. Yeah. But as God is kind of pushing me out of my comfort zone, I'm beginning yeah. to, uh, you know, get a little bit more where I'm a, a bit more accessible. But it's Grace yeah. Solutions, not Grace, but Grace <laughs> Solutions at um, and Instagram. I'm just going to add she also works with she is international guys so she works with you (laughs) wherever you are and especially with rona she is able to work with you 
anywhere where you are in the world. So yes. just wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> well, you, you've made me international too. I never, you know, never would have thought that my first podcast would be in Zambia in Africa. So thank you for making me international. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to say uh, thank you uh, for sharing your story. It's such a powerful story. And, you know, we, all, we always look at people from the outside and think, uh, you know, everything's okay. I mean, you're beautiful. And I know when you were first lady, everybody was like, oh my gosh, first lady. But you know, no one would have guessed that this was happening. And I think that's that's true for so many leaders because, you know, they say, um, you know, it gets lonely at the top. Like the higher you go, the lonelier it becomes. And there's no spaces, no safe spaces for our leaders and especially the women leaders to be able to just find that that place where they can speak their truth and just um, find counsel, the right kind of counsel, you know, to find the right help. And I applaud you so much for going through this and just making it such a, uh, a beautiful, like turning it around into something so beautiful in your practice, in your um, coaching. And you're, you're amazing. I, I just think <laughs> you're amazing inside out. Thank you, Tula. I appreciate that. Thank you for believing in me and thank you for the opportunity to share my story. I just appreciate your humility. And like I said before, thank you for giving a voice and a platform for women. So I applaud you and your endeavors and I'll continue to wish you the best in all that you do. Thank you. I told you, I told you, you have to hear it to believe it. If you want to watch the video, you can find it on my IGTV at Chulu by Design. Girl, I have no poker face. I was like, say what? My jaw was on the ground the whole time. Ladies, I think it is so important that we are very mindful about who we choose to date and eventually marry. I saw a post on social media that said something to the effect of, don't focus on his wallet. But have you checked his mental health, you know? I mean, I would also add check his relationship with money, but that's just me. So when you see the warning signs, please run away like a gazelle. Fast. <laughs> you cannot control anyone but yourself. Therefore, you cannot change him or save him. And if you're in a tricky situation right now, do not feel embarrassed about changing your mind. Your life is more valuable. Please reach out to Rochelle on social media at graced underscore solutions. Tell her you heard her on the Africana Woman podcast and show her some love. Thank you so much for making us part of your day by listening in. I truly appreciate you. Please help me get the word out about Africana Women Podcast. All you have to do is take a screenshot of this episode and post it on your social media stories. Don't forget to tag me at chulu underscore by design. I love to see your feedback. Now, you know my playground is Instagram. If you want to chat with me personally, drop me a line. So until next week, I want you to remember, know your roots, grow your purpose. This has been a production of Ulendo Creative Media. You can find out more about their services on www.ulendocreative.com.